Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We are downtown Salem, Oregon in studio. Salem is the home of a Groundwork, a leadership institute which we started over a year ago, and the goal was to raise the tide of leaders in our community, truly build leaders from the ground up at this community level. We want great leaders not just now, but for many years to come, and our our part in being intentional in that process because great leaders aren't just created overnight and they don't just randomly appear. Our desire to be intentional in that was let's create a, a leadership institute where we can learn from one another, where leaders can come together from all different backgrounds, all different industry, all different ethnicities, you name it, and learn from one another and continue to contribute to this quote unquote house of knowledge. And so a podcast seemed like a no brainer. We need to start a podcast uh, to start to learn from these leaders in our community and leaders outside of our community. And so even though we're just starting, we're really happy with what we've been able to learn and what we've been able to do so far. And we look forward to many years and decades into the future. Now, it's been a little gloomy in Salem over the last several weeks. We've had fires uh, going on all over the state. Uh, There's been tragic things happen, people losing their homes, their lives their livelihoods. It's been uh, very sad on all levels and my prayers and my heart goes out to those individuals impacted. But also just want to acknowledge and recognize that people have come together in, in our communities to support these individuals. And that is a sign of some of the best components of our soil. And you know this, this podcast, uh, I don't say this enough. I need to start saying this more. But this isn't just for leaders. Sure, we would love for leaders to tune in, uh, people that are aspiring to to lead. Yes, absolutely. But this, the messages and the things that we dive into here have relevance across the board. Um, whether you have the title of a leader or not, you could be a mother, a father, a sibling, a friend, a neighbor, and a lot of these principles are going to be helpful and impactful. So I hope that anyone listening uh, can can take away components from what we talk about and apply them in their daily life. But specifically in times like this, where we have natural disasters, fires, we have a pandemic that we're still dealing with, we have a political and racial divide in our country, leadership is so important. A community will not change without leaders changing, without leaders paving the way in healthy and helpful ways. A family doesn't change unless people step up and start to lead. Organizations don't change unless the leaders step up and start to lead in more authentic and helpful ways. So leadership in general is so important anyways, but specifically in these times of crisis and in need. And so I hope that uh, with that, we listen a little more, we see a little deeper, and we exert ourselves um, a little bit further than before. So today, look, I, I'm going to give context before our guest joins us, and I'm going to have to phone him up. And his name is Chad Ford. Okay, now let me tell you a little bit about Chad. And as always, I'll let him introduce himself, and I'll probably add more to that intro once he joins. But I say this a lot about several of our guests that I know personally. You know, I'm, I say things like they're a great friend, a dear friend, a mentor to me, somebody I look up to. And that is true with all of those individuals. Um, and it's certainly true for Chad, but where Chad is dear, dearest to my heart is 
I wake up every morning and I try to live with a purpose. I try to live with an extreme purpose. And I try to take that purpose to the extreme. Now, not a lot of people uh, I've found have been able to clearly identify or define what they have as a purpose. And I've been fortunate enough to, to do that. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without somebody like Chad. He helped me find a path. He helped me not just find things that I could be good at, but things that resonated deeply and even spiritually with me to the point to where it doesn't matter what I do with my life in terms of a career, where I'm at physically, I will always find a way to execute and fulfill this purpose. And Chad was so helpful to me in that. Uh, he was uh, a mentor, a brother, uh, someone I could lean on uh, many times as I was developing myself as a leader and as a professional. And I can't say enough about Chad. And so with that, uh, let's get him on the phone. And before, just right before that, a little bit of context on Chad outside of my personal introduction. Chad is the author of Dangerous Love. Um, it's a book that just came out this summer. It's incredible. It's a conglomeration of all of his background and experience in conflict and peace building. Chad is a he's a peace builder by I mean by definition he is a peace builder. He he engages in transformative conflict and really gives of himself and his time to help our world engage in some of these things. Chad has worked all over the globe from South Africa, Israel, Cyprus, Northern Ireland, engaging in very high levels of conflict, helping people come together and see one another as people. What he teaches and what he does is so influential to what we do here um, because me having participated in the creation of a lot of our theory and our framework around soil seeds and weeds, a lot of what we do in the Institute comes from things that I learned from Chad. So there's a direct connection. And I want to talk about that connection today with him. But please stay tuned. Enjoy every moment of this. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Chad is incredible. Let me get him on. All right, we're back. Chad's with us uh, again. You know, I, I know I already introduced him, but just so blessed to to have him with us. And Chad, so you know, you know, I I I introduced you, and I said a lot of nice things about you, and and nothing that you haven't heard from me before. I know I've expressed uh, how I feel about about you on several occasions, but uh, go ahead and and maybe give a you know an intro to who you are and and what you do and why you do it. Well, the most important thing was that I was there at the beginning of Chris Pineda becoming uh, who he is. So, um, I mean, you know, one of the things that I love about a lot of the work that I've been able to do at BYU and the McKay Center is get engaged with young people that are going to do this better than I am, are going to, you know, go out and pioneer, you know, fields and, and research and work. Uh, in ways that, you know, I've never touched. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I like to say about myself is like, I, I love doing mediation. I love doing conflict resolution, but my favorite thing has always been teaching in part because you get to see this exponential impact, right? You get to go out and see how these ideas are going to be taken, personalized, applied to people's personal lives. But then, you know, for people like you, Chris, like, going into the world or into the community like Salem 
and creating something new and different and remarkable and extraordinary that is just it's it's just so cool to like you know watch it makes me feel a little bit old but it's like it's so cool to watch and and so much of what i i think as you know i know you spend so much time talking about leadership and and what have you so much about what to me it means to be a good leader is that you're creating space for others to be able to grow and become something much more than than yourself and to take ideas and principles that, that you've learned and and pass them on and then let them do these really cool creative um extraordinary things with them and so you know i, I get there's a lot of things i can say about myself but i i i really feel like in so many ways that's that's been where i found my most passion and even today like I, i've been on zoom calls all day and all of those have been working with generally young people in the field, doing coaching, uh, doing consulting or what have you, but really trying to help them get to the space where they're having this major impact in their communities or their organizations that they're working with. And, and to me, you know, I can go out and I can mediate a dispute, but when you're working all day with people that are been touching so many people, and I know you're touching hundreds and hundreds of of, of lives in you know Salem right now, like that's 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 incredible. And I also know you, and I know you're passing that along and creating leadership academy and working with young people in high schools, doing the sort of same thing. And um, man, that's 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 where my heart lies at the core of peace building over over mediation, facilitation, everything else. Like just being in that space and being able to work with and help and watch people grow. Yeah, when I uh, I know I just mentioned this to you before we started recording, but when I was reflecting on, on you and, and what we might be able to, to dive into, um, the idea of seeing potential, you know, popped up and personally, because I felt like, uh, I felt like, you know, you were one of the, the first in my adult life to really see, uh, potential in me, you know, things that I could or could not do, uh, you know, when I couldn't really even see it. And, and, uh, I, you know, I greatly appreciated that about you because, you believed in me and, and that, you know, means a lot. And, and, uh, and that was instrumental, you know, for, for my, my personal life. But I, you know, when I think of you, I, I just think of the ability that you have to see potential in situations and you have to, I mean, being someone like yourself that engages in conflict that is pretty heavy. I mean, and I just, I know just a frat, you know, part of, of some of your story and the, the conflicts that you've been in, uh, you know, as a third party and things that you've experienced in your own life. But to be able to see potential in that getting better, I think is a key quality for any peace builder and any leader for that matter. Um, but it's obviously a skill set that you have. You might not see it that way, but I, you know, what, what would you have else to share to that idea of looking at a situation, even when it's glim and, and not, you know, it, it's in a bad spot and seeing the potential of what yeah. it could be. I mean, that's a cool question. You know, it was really interesting. I was on a um, talk radio show the other day and, and, you know, not a lot of people, well, a lot of people know this, a lot of people don't, that part of my background was doing sports and, mm-hmm. 
and uh, specifically doing the NBA and the NBA draft for ESPN. And I, I still have some connections there. And even for a while, I sort of resurrected a podcast around it before, you know, so much stuff was going down in America with George Floyd and everything else. That I just didn't feel like I could juggle that ball anymore. But I was on ESPN radio in Salt Lake City with Spence Checkett, uh, who's a talk radio um, host there. And he had just read um, my book, Dangerous Love, and decided we were going to have this conversation around this. But, you know, Spence is not, his background's not in, you know, conflict resolution or whatever. And he was talking about it, the frustration that he felt towards certain people in his state, whether it was about masks, whether it was about, you know, political ideology, uh, religious ideology or whatever. It, it was, it was, it was, it was everywhere. And so then you're kind of encountering these ideas of dangerous love around and, and the ideas that I know that you talk a lot about, about a lot too, Chris, like seeing people as people. Yeah. Uh, for example, or turning first um, towards people. And I actually started my book with this quote for a reason. In chapter one, I tell a story about Miriam and Mahmoud, and it starts with, but what if he's evil? Mm-hmm. And uh, in, and just sh- sure enough, like in all my work, this has become like such a pronounced question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with everything you say, you know, like, yeah, see people as people. Being nice. But what if? And then what if is always the sort of mo- most horrible dehumanizing um, view of the world. And it's, and it, you know, I pause for a second because it's when we're in conflict and we're, you know, feeling that fear that comes with conflict, it's actually the easiest way to see somebody. It's the easiest to see their faults, their weaknesses, where they fall short. It, it's easy. And you say I have a, you know, a, a, you know, gift for it or whatever, but I, as my family can attest and my students can attest and whatever, I fall prey to that all the time too. Yeah. Uh, I fall all the time to this moment where the, the people I love or care about, I become sort of hyper-focused on their weaknesses or, or their faults. And when I do so, I create the environment to have a really destructive conflict, whether that's emotionally destructive or even sort of physically destructive, everything that's going to now sort of happen next uh, predictably uh, around the Arbiter Institute uses this idea of collusion is going to happen next. And so, you know, one of the things that I've, I've tried to work on in my life is to sort of recognize what the fruits of that are going to be, right? If I can only focus on what's negative about a person or what they do wrong or what have you, I'm going to invite a behavior in them and a way of seeing back towards them that is going to poison the relationship, poison, poison the workplace. It's going to poison everything else. And so it's actually up to me to not poison that. And so it means in those moments, especially, I have to work extra hard to be able to see their humanity and see the potential in them, not what they're, not what they're stuck in behaviorally in the moment, but where they're kind of going to be. And, and actually being a teacher in some ways is a great training for that because it, you know, the truth is when you're, especially when you're working with like you know, freshmen or you know, high school students or whatever, their, their maturity level, their, the intellect that they have about the topic and everything else, it's, it's, it's pretty immature yeah. um, at the moment. And so like, if I were to sit there every day and look it, like take a comment from someone, I could destroy it. Uh, right? Like, okay, you didn't think about this, you didn't think about this, but then what does that do for the person or the individual? So we, mm-hmm. every good teacher sort of knows this and, and every good parent sort of knows that you take people where they're at, yeah. you sort of understand where, how they got to that space. And then, you know, how do you get them to the next, how do you get them to the next space? But we live in a culture right now, especially on social media, especially 
where the opposite is happening. People are on patrol mm-hmm. looking for trip ups, looking for mistakes, looking for misstatements, looking for uh, you know problems. And 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 I and I think it's because again people are experiencing this this level of fear and uncertainty, uh, and we're living in a in a world and a society right now that's going through massive sort of changes. COVID for you know for a lot of reasons going on, and and the easiest thing to do is to sort of resort back to that. And so there's an you know it's not, I don't want, I don't want listeners to sort of think okay this is a gift you have it or not. There's so much that is connected to sort of intentionality. And so for me, uh, you know, I'm pretty religious. And so, you know, one of the things that I, that, that, that helps me is, is meditation and and prayer at times. And one of the things that I ask every day is like, help me to be able to see people the right way, regardless of how they're seeing me, regardless of what's going around, like help me to be able to see that. And, and if you're not religious, you know, fair enough, even if you're just saying it as an intention into the world, if you don't believe that there's you know such a thing as divine help or whatever, that's okay. When you say it as an intention into the world, then your mind starts to be thinking about how do I do that? And when someone's misbehaving or someone reacts negatively to something that you say or someone makes a rude comment or someone cuts you off on the road or it's taking too long at the McDonald's drive through or, you know, all the things that sort of frustrate us and get us really in that negative space every day. What, what it starts to do is sort of remind us of what it is that we're supposed to be doing today, like with our brain, like how we're supposed to be seeing um, the world. And I, and I wish I could tell you that in, in all my years of doing that, it just always comes naturally to me and it's easy. and I never trip up. It's the opposite. I trip up all the time. But when I'm intentional about it and when I'm really thinking hard about it and, and really trying to set that intention into my day every day, that's when it comes alive. So I do the same thing in teaching, right? You know, every day I sort of ask, like, can I see these students and see their potential? Mm-hmm. Can I, regardless of what they're saying or doing or writing or interacting, how do I see, the, see it? And then the second thing is, how do I help them? Um, be able to see it. But it's not just in teaching or in students. It's, it's, it's with everyone in life. How do we invite people, right, into a, into a positive space out of a, out of sort of a negative space? And so much of it, as, as you've talked about a bunch, I know, is going to be around our mindset mm-hmm. and, and being intentional about that mindset going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much there. Um, just trying to make, make notes so I can, you know, come back to, to some of these, um, aspect, you know, these, these concepts you've brought up, but, you know, in our, in our framework that we use here in the Institute and, and just in our work in the community, the rooted framework, you know, I'm just hearing a lot of soil work, you know, um, cultivating soil and, and doing, making sure we're, we're doing our part not to toxify it, you know, by, uh, you know, you, you said by seeing, seeing others, you know, cultivating soil to us is, is, is being intentional and seeing others as people. And, and if I'm not doing that, there's no middle or gray area. It means I'm doing the opposite of, of seeing others as, as people that matter. You know, I would be yeah. you know, uh, seeing them as... It doesn't have to be that I'm seeing them as evil. If I'm just not seeing them, yeah. if I'm just disregarding them, it, it's, it's I'm, I'm, you know, I'm poisoning the soil. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I was telling that, that little radio story and I, I lost track for a second. But he, the question he asked me at the end of it is, okay, here's all the crap in the world that I hate. Is there any hope for us? Mm. And, and it was a genuine, sincere question. 
right? Are we on the brink of civil war as a community? Can I live with these idiots any longer? You know, is there hope for us? Yeah. And, you know, this is the moment where I understand that frustration. I have some fears, like everybody does, around the direction that we're heading as a, uh, as a community uh, together. Like, of course, we sort of have those fears. But what, what I've learned in all my years of being a mediator and all my years of working with young people and whatever else, the minute that I say there's no hope, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. It's done. Yeah. The minute that I say that you can't change, there is no change. The minute I say I can't change, there is no change. The minute that I say that this situation, this conflict, this organization can't change is the minute that I've given in to this, the inevitability that things are going to have to be the way that they are. And you can call me idealistic or whatever, but my, my response back to him is, of course there is. Of course there's hope for us. Human beings are capable of turning around all of this madness in the world. People are, are 100% capable of changing the way they see each other, um, how they see themselves, how yeah. they interact with each other in the community, how they see their enemy. I've, I've seen it happen in small scales, in families, I've seen it happen in huge, large scales in the Middle East, working with Israelis, Palestinians. It happened all the time. But this is the one thing that I know about whether it will or won't happen. It won't happen if we wait around and wait, and wait for other people to do it. Yeah. If we sort of say, throw our hands up there and say, well, I hope there's hope for us. And I hope that those people out there, whoever they are that are the problem, I hope they change. And that's the only way there's going to be hope for us. Then you're, it's going to fail. But if I start to say, uh, and I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to act on that hope. I'm going to act on that belief. I'm going to bring it into the world by by changing the way I interact with a family member or changing the way I interact with a neighbor or community member. I start to bring in something to the world that actually starts that change um, happening. And I've seen it happen in communities. I've seen it happen in the Middle East. It, it absolutely can happen, but it doesn't happen without, again, intentionality. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that, and you know, I like that you're you know you're listing off. It, it, you've seen it happen in communities, small to large scale, and and it can. And and I used to, you know, when I was a student of yours, and I'm hearing, I would hear you share these stories and say these things. Um, I you know I believed it to a certain level, but it wasn't until I actually saw it in my own life, you know, <laughs> and and the challenges and and the things you would have us do to really have a deep look at our own life and the conflict in our own life um, and the areas where we needed to love a little more dangerously, you know, speaking in, in, in the language from your book or the areas of our soil uh, where we needed to, to work a little more. It wasn't until I saw it in my own life that I actually started to really believe when you would say those things. And, and something that you taught me, and this wasn't the language that you used or how you described it, but this is what I remember from, you know, those classes those years ago and in learning this was, you know, when you see humanity, because humanity's thrown out there, it's a word that's thrown out there quite a bit, you know, and and you I, I always thought when you see humanity, it meant you see the great things, the wonderful things about people, right? When you see somebody's humanity, it means you you know, you see the how wonderful they can be. And that's what I always thought, but something that I learned from you know, your coursework and just spending time with you and working out at the Peace Building Center with you is seeing humanity is seeing the whole spectrum of what humanity has to offer. So if I'm seeing the humanity in a person, I have to, I, I got to see those wonderful things, the potential that they have, you know, and, and 
believing that there's so much more that they could become or they, they're capable of. But I also have to be aware and acknowledge the negative things and the, the awful things that they've either done or are capable of and accepting the lot of it. I mean, accepting the whole spectrum there, that humanity is, is seeing all of that. And what was transformative to me was understanding that I am capable of all of those things. I'm capable of all the evils that happen in the world and all the horrible things human beings do to one another, but I'm also capable of all the amazing things that they do um, for one another and towards one another and with one another. And that, that was a transformative experience for me to, to actually look at a situation because, you know, in, in peace building courses, we would dissect the high level conflict that happened in our history where people were, you know, openly objectifying others and to the point of genocide. Yeah. genocide. And, and for me to have to put on this lens of, wait, I'm capable of that too. And, and having to accept with that and live that I'm a human just like they are. And had I walked their shoes or lived their life, I might have, I might be making similar choices. That was transformative to me. And it really opened up my eyes to being able to see the potential that people have. And so I like that you said it's, you know, I said it's a skill set that you have, but it's also a skill set I, I believe people can develop is to look at a scenario and, and acknowledge and accept that, sure, bad things have happened and, and it doesn't look so pretty right now, but it can be so much better. But I see myself in all of that. And like you said, with what you just ended with is I have to see myself in it first and my role in it first in order to, you know, to start to make a change. So I, I think that's, I mean, that's a, that's that perspective is needed um, in many communities right now. And I think the thing that's really confusing too, at a person think about it at a personal level, we're thinking about ourselves, is that weirdly we can hold on to good and bad at the same time, mm. <laughs> right? In other words, I can be incredibly outward mindset and seeing, um, you know, this group of people as people, or you know, my family. I'm like doing a great job, but then I go to this other setting and I'm struggling. Yeah. Uh, right. And it's one of the paradoxes that I always wrestle with just as a human being. Like, how can I actually be so good in certain settings and be so bad in other settings? And, and how is it that I haven't learned yet in, you know, my years how to just be consistently all, all, all the way there all the time? And that, that's actually been a big discouragement for me in my life and a frustration that I've had. And and in fact, dangerous love took extra years, literally years to get to people uh, in part because I was so frustrated with myself and my own weaknesses and my own failings. I'm like, you know, how do I, how do I put this out into the world when I, when I'm struggling to, to live it myself. And it took some real meditation, uh, introspection, other people in my life to sort of recognize that that's also part of being human is that we're never fully perfect and we're never fully bad. And that sometimes we are the, this mess of contradictions in our own life. And instead of just throwing our hands up in the air and say, look, I'll never get that right. Like we, we see those with open eyes. We don't let it get our, we don't get down on ourselves because of that, but we feel motivated to continue to act and to change and to and address those things. And then we can extrapolate that all the way back out to other human beings. So they're also going to be 
a contradiction. They're also going to be a mix of things that are really amazing and things that are really, really hard. And instead of being thrown off by the hypocrisy of that or, uh, you know, the schizophrenic sort of nature sometimes of, of how people are, and man, you were awesome one minute, now you're five hours later, and I can't believe you're saying this or acting that way, that we, we just take a deep breath and give space for that sort of human experience. Yeah. And and gently with ourselves and others start to reframe those experiences in ways that get us back to where I think we all want to be because nobody wants to be in that dark place. Nobody wants to be alienating other people and breaking relationships and, and destroying uh, you know families or communities or lives. Nobody wants to be there, but sometimes they're in, in a place where they can't see anywhere anywhere out. And and we're you know, there to remind them. And sometimes in our own lives, we can't see any way out of it ourselves. And we have to constantly be, be alive to and remind ourselves that that's not all of who we are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm grateful for many mentors in my life that have both helped me see that in myself, but have showed that in extraordinary ways, um, you know, in their life. And I've always been inspired by South Africa and Bishop Tutu yeah. Um, and this Truth and Reconciliation Commission, because he sat there every day and heard the most horrific things that human beings could do to each other, yet somehow saw the deep humanity of the people who were doing those things and created a process by which they had to both be accountable, which is super painful, mm-hmm. but also could be redeemed and and insisted upon that. And I, and I think so much of our fear anymore in our organizations, our families or whatever is if I make a mistake, I'm going to be punished. Mm-hmm. If I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be destroyed. But no one ever forgets. The internet never forgets. You know, people never forget or what have you. And letting all of that go about ourselves and saying that, you know, we're constantly rewriting this sort of redemption story every day is the day to sort of wake up and begin to start that process again. So I don't care how big your conflict is or how long it's been going on or how long you've been messing up or they've been messing up yeah. or how serious it is or isn't, there's hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I think more than anything else right now, like our, our world needs just a little dose of hope that that things can better. Yeah. I uh, I mean, so much of what you're, you're saying and, you know, what's in Dangerous Love, the book, and I've had the the privilege of, you know, being a part of, uh, you know, a team that you put together, I haven't been able to participate as much recently as I would like to, but, uh, and just, you know, putting together some curriculum behind that with you. And so, and obviously being able to read your book before it came out. So, so much of what you're saying is just striking chords within, you know, your book of dangerous love. And there's so much relevance at a global and national scale, but it really all happens at a, at a, you know, at an individual personal level for 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 people i mean these these concepts sound great and like i mentioned you know they didn't they sounded great and i liked them but it wasn't until i started experiencing them myself and this potential and this change that i could actually have within my own life and my own issues that you know it started to really mean something to me and and it you know it's interesting cuz you mentioned you've been fortunate enough to have mentors that have you know guided you and and, and helped you see these things and and I know you know this, and I've exp- I explained it in the intro, but you've been you know one of those mentors to me um, at very important times that have ultimately you know I, I can look back now and confidently say were were absolutely life changing for me, and and I, I I shared this story with you before, 
Um, but it wasn't, I mean, I think, I think I shared it last year and it happened several years before that. And it was the first time I actually shared with you one of these moments. And, and it was a crucial moment for me. And I've, I've shared this in our community with, in several settings, but I wasn't actually ready to admit it and share it for, you know, a few years. I was, I was, I was ashamed almost to even admit that, to admit where I was and, and, and how I was struggling. And, you know, just over the last couple of years, I've gotten to a point where, I'm sharing the story and hopefully it's helpful to people. But, you know, back when, when I was a student of yours and, and helping you run this, this peace building center, the McKay Center in Hawaii, um, you had gone on sabbatical, which when, is when you started to write Dangerous Love. And, and uh, when you came back, you know, I, I was scrambling to keep the, the center, uh, you know, functioning with the other field directors and, and trying to, you know, do my part. But, and and we were having I was have personally having success in that area and I was excelling in in my sport of of soccer collegiately and things were going well on the surface, um, but what nobody knew except for myself and my wife was that our marriage you know we'd only been married a couple of years at the time it was struggling I mean it was so bad that there was a night that I thought she was done I mean I thought she was just gonna leave and and she. At the time, probably had every right to do so. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I I was the problem. I didn't see it at the time, but clear as day now. And I thought she was done with me. And so my life was, you know, a bit torn because I didn't know what I wanted more. I didn't know what I want if I wanted all the things going well in my life. I could say professionally, even though I was still in school, but all these things that I was doing, you know, for the center and ac- academically and, and cl- soccer wise. I didn't know if I wanted that more because it was going so well or if I wanted my marriage more. And that was the dilemma I was in. And I didn't want to admit that I had these these problems. But I remember we would sit down every week, you know, when you got back and we would just catch up on the affairs of the center. But you'd always look at me in the eyes, you know, and you'd say, you know, what else? what's up? I mean, anything else going on? And I always felt like you sensed that you knew. Um, and maybe you didn't, maybe you did. But I just, in those moments, I wanted to just, uh, you know, just kind of, Divul- I just share all of these things that I was struggling with, but I never did um, for reasons like you shared. I was too afraid. I was too ashamed. Um, so I never shared anything, but you know, I, I, I was able to go on those hikes with you uh, occasionally. You would invite me to, to go in the morning before the sun would rise and we'd hike up the mountain you know, behind Laie in Hawaii and, and watch the sun rise and you'd like to go up there and meditate. So I, I would occasionally go with you and usually we talk about sports you know, and other random things. But this one particular day, you asked me to come, and I meet you. I meet you there at the trailhead early in the morning. It's dark. It's super early, and we start hiking. And that morning, uh, you kept and it's funny too because you're talking about seeing potential. You kept talking about the potential that you th- you know that you saw that I had, and people like to hear that once or twice. But you kept saying it over and over again, and giving me different scenarios of all these things that I could I could do, or you know. And it became kind of strange to me. Like, what's you know, we've been hiking this thing for a mountain and he just keeps telling me these these things. So I was figuring, what's Chad up to? And uh, we get up to the top, the sun's rising. Of course, it's beautiful. The sky's, you know, it's it's going to be a clear blue day. And you say, hey, now give me a few minutes so I can go med- you know, meditate and then we'll come back and, and chat. So, you know, you go off for like 10 minutes and I hate being alone because every time I'm alone, I'm left with my own thoughts to think about my life and I didn't like thinking about my life. And so I, you know, I, you you spend some time meditating and I'm just trying not to think. And we come back together and we sit across this tree that kind of goes across the trail up where you like to go. And, and uh, 
you have me sit down across and I'm, it's like this, you know, this Mr. Miyagi moment. Um, but, uh, you pointed out, you said, you know, with the smirk on your face, you said, Chris, you probably, uh, probably noticed I was giving you a lot of compliments on the hike up. <laughs> and I, re- with relief was like, yes, thanks. Uh, thanks for putting it out there. You know, it was kind of weird. Uh, why were you doing that, Chad? And, and you said to me, you said, well, I just wanted you to know that I really believe all of those things. I believe that you can do those things. Um, but then you paused and I don't know, again, you know, I didn't know until I told you this story about a year ago and, and it turns out you didn't know anything, but I, I don't know in the moment what you felt, but you felt something and you said this, you said, Chris, I, I think you can accomplish all of those things, um, but I don't think you will if you don't keep, and you knew Kenzie personally, my wife, said, if you don't keep Kenzie as part of everything that you do and if you're not part of everything she does. I don't think that you'll accomplish a fraction of those things. And, you know, it must have been the day in this perfect setting on the top of a mountain in Hawaii, (laughs) right, Uh, with somebody that I looked up to and admired that struck a chord in my heart where I have never wanted to change so quickly in my life. And uh, I didn't say anything to you. I didn't share anything that was going on. I just, you know, I just felt like, man, somehow he knows and he doesn't know, but he knows. And and I wanted to change so quickly. We walked down the mountain together, but you know, my memory of the day was that I was sprinting and running down the mountain because I wanted to get to Kenzie and just start to make things right. Um, when I thought it was over, I mean, I wanted to just make things right. And I remember running to my studio apartment. I left my muddy shoes at the door, which you know is symbolic to me now. You got to leave behind the justification. You got to leave behind that narrative you had before. And I left him at the door and I went into the room. She was still sleeping and I fell on my knees and started to plead for her forgiveness. And that was the first conversation that we had that morning of many that led to us figuring things out. Um, but that was life-changing uh, for me. And uh, again, you didn't know the details of what was going on in my life, but I'm glad that you followed the sense. And to your point that none of us are perfect, I mean... You know, being your assistant and, and being your friend, I knew that your life wasn't perfect either, right? And and that's why it meant so much more to me is that this is coming from somebody who is it doesn't ever claim to be perfect, and I believe him, and so I, that's part of the reason why I wanted to change uh, so quickly. And so I know you know that story, but I couldn't help but think of that as you were you were you know sharing these ideas behind uh, seeing potential where you know, where there's every reason to not see it. Um, and, and living, you know, life with, with a deeper meaning, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it sounds cliche, but it, I mean, it really was life-changing and transformative to me. So I'm forever grateful for that. I don't think it's cliche. It's, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I remember you telling me, uh, you know, around a year ago when you told me and just sort of being wowed because you're right. I, I didn't know any specifics. It wasn't like your wife had come and talk to me or, you know, someone else had, had, you know, divulged that. But what, what it told me, uh, you know, in the moment was like in that moment, this is the sort of level of like connection and love that we can have with people is that we can even sense things, um, of like what might be most helpful you know, in a moment. And even when we don't know the specifics of their story or what they're, they're struggling with, um, you know, one of the things for me that means to see people as people is to recognize that there's so much pain in the room. 
right? Like yeah. in every room they're in, every person is sitting with stuff, hidden mm. pain that they're going through right now. And, and very rarely are they sharing it or transmitting it, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the world, but it's there, it's affecting everything, um, that, that they're doing. And so outwardly everything can be going right, but inwardly it's a, it's a tempest and it's a storm. Uh, I know this well because I'm, I'm not the most, uh, transparent. I'm a very private person. It was actually really hard in many ways to write dangerous love because I tell a lot of stories, personal stories in it, but I'm, I'm, you know, generally, uh, you know, a really private person. So I totally get that instinct of, you know, I'm just going to keep this in and I'm going to, you know, present this face to the world and it's going to be, you know, okay. And, and, you know, finding, finding ways to, you know, be, you know, really alive to people. It's, it's amazing what it can do. And I mean, it's, it's a cool story that you end up sprinting down the hill and, and, and start to, um, you know, connect and start that process of change. It's, it's such a hopeful story about what can happen. And then, you know, if you think about from a leadership standpoint, when we think about, you know, leading, you know, the leading to me is helping and, and what's the most helpful thing. Hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing about you, you know, as I remember students, you were so confident in everything and, and not confident playing in the right word. You were excellent. You're an excellent athlete. You're the best uh, in, in, you know, your whole division. When, when I trained you as a facilitator, no one that I'd ever trained uh, picked it up as quickly, was more aggressive about going out sort of changing. So, you know, you have all of these things, but all of us have these other things in our life that are pulling the other direction, right? Um, for you in that moment, it was a marriage uh, that, was, that was struggling. But, you know, I think sometimes it just helps to be alive to that, you know, in the world that even when people are excelling, they're hurting. Um, and even when people are hurting, they're, they're capable of excelling and, and that we don't, we don't label that every way that we just sort of become, you know, alive to that. And, and one of the things that, you know, as you're telling me that story and I'm, you know, listening and I'm thinking back to that time frame and everything else, I, you know, I, I'm sure there was a sense to tell you that, but also, you know, part of my life experience and my journey, um, with my, with my own marriage was that I failed at that. You know, I, I failed the advice that I was giving you in many ways was something that I had failed at and it had caused irreparable harm, you know, in the marriage. And so to be able to um, also be able to learn from our mistakes and even though sometimes those mistakes might not always be able to you go back in time and, you know, fix things that have happened in the past, it, it allows us the ability to, to sort of own them, to see them. And maybe to use use our our mistakes, our challenges, our weaknesses um, to be able to help others. And I do think there's this thing, and and I feel it too. So I'm not I'm not I'm including myself in this process of a fear in leadership that if if people know my weaknesses or if people understand my challenges or tri- trials, they'll think less of me, mm. uh, right? Or that they, they they will see me as weak. Uh, or, you know, vulnerability, you never want to show vulnerability um, as, as a leader. And, uh, and then, you know, sometimes it's just a personal mantra that I've, I've felt myself. And, um, and I, I think it's a mistake. Um, and, you know, one area where that, that's been really apparent to me is with my kids. And, um, you know, I still, for whatever reason, come from a, a paradigm that, you know, I want to be Superman. 
to my kids. And I don't ever want my kids to know that I'm tired, exhausted, had a bad night and frustrated at work or whatever. Like that's not, that's not on them. Like I'm not going to put that, you know, on them and, and be thinking I'm, I'm, you know, dad of the year because of that. Right. Like I never use my kids as therapists. I'm never dumping like, you know, problems on my kids only to find out when they get older that it actually dehumanizes me towards them. That they, they're struggling with all this sort of stuff in their life, but there's dad over there. Dad's perfect. Like dad, mm-hmm. you know, dad never has a problem. And, and they, they feel this disconnect uh, between me. And I am really grateful that I have some really thoughtful children that as they became teenagers were able to like tell me that. Yeah. Like dad, like uh, we love you, but we know. Like everything's not perfect here in life. And when you do this, it creates a disconnection because now I look at my life and say, well, dad's going to be disappointed in me if I'm struggling because look how he handles everything. Or dad's going to be, you know, sad if I'm, I made a mistake in my life because, you know, dad's out there, yeah. you know, doing this or that. And when I'm making tons of mistakes and feeling so many of the things that they're feeling, and by the way, then if I would put myself back in their age as a teenager, had all those same sort of emotions and, and getting to the space that, you know, part, of seeing humanity as people and sort of part of being loving dangerously is being vulnerable and giving people the benefit of the doubt that they won't abuse that vulnerability, that they won't take advantage of that vulnerability, that they won't mock that vulnerability. But instead what they do is it opens up this pathway of connection to people that just didn't exist um, before and that that's hard. I mean, honest, it's hard for me. It's yeah. still hard for me, and and I have to like be conscious and like practice it around my kids because it's not my natural instinct to do that. And one of the things I've always appreciated about you, Chris, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, you're the stereotypical like tough macho jock. Like you're you're out there. Like I I know I I know how great you are. But like when you share stories like that, and I've seen you and your workshops, it's part of what I think has made you great is your willingness to not just share your successes and your triumphs and and your skills and how good you are, but to share your weakness, your vulnerability, um, your emotions with the world. And I think it's part of what makes you such a great leader and, and a great facilitator. And I know it draws, it ends up interestingly drawing people to you because you're relatable now in a way that, that Superman is not. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that, and and I would I would say you know right back at you. I think you know part of my development as a you know as a, as a professional and and a peace builder was was influenced by you. And and it's interesting because as you know as we're talking about this um, in in the rooted leadership handbook that we have for our leaders here in our uh, soil section where we talk about how to cultivate it, and we have three levels. You know. F- breaking up the soil, which is being accountable, being willing to change oneself before we expect it in others. The second level is seeing people. And then the third level is deeply seeing people. And, you know, you were, you were able to, and we're coming, you know, we're going to have to wrap up in like 10 or so minutes. And and I feel like we haven't even gotten into dangerous love. We'll have to do another episode, you know, down the road. Um, But you spent time with our leadership group, um, you know, in an intimate setting and and you dove into dangerous love. And there were so many um, cross points to soil. You know, this idea of dangerous love and this deepest level of seeing people that we talk about, deeply seeing people, digging even deeper. 
you know, we try to make it tangible and we talk about four steps uh, to do it. And, and of course, there's a lot more to these four steps, but we're trying to highlight here's four things that people that deeply see do. And this has a point that I want to get to, but the first is be rooted in and understand your why, uh, you know, understand your purpose. And in my own words, take it to the extreme, you know, uh, and you've worked with extremists in your career and usually has a yeah. negative connotation. But when it comes to fulfilling a, a, a true impactful purpose, we should take it to the extreme, right? Especially as leaders. I mean, we need to be extremists in living our purpose, especially if it's going to change people's lives. And the second, so that's the first thing. The second thing is to dare to explore, explore social space, you know, dare to, to go outside of yourself and understand others, even when you're uncomfortable, um, but just dare to explore it. And then the third is be emotionally transparent, meaning know what holds you back and do something about it. And then the fourth, which I want to get to, because I think that's what we've been talking about, is to use your suffering well. You know, all of us are going to suffer and we can choose to let that suffering break us uh, where we, you know, I just did an episode uh, with, a, with a former teammate, founder of Threadwall, it's Colby Bauer, and he used this term of, of have a shallow rock bottom. When we break, you know, when we allow our suffering to break us, I feel like the rock bottom never comes. It's just deep, 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 and we break and we end up being bitter, resentful, jealous, you name it. And all of us have experienced that form of suffering and breaking. But the other way, the other form of suffering is to suffer well, where we allow it to break us open, which is what you're talking about, being vulnerable. When we're broken open, we're, we're an open book, we're vulnerable, we empathize at a higher rate, we uh, can have, be more compassionate, we can be more relatable, we can be more understand, understanding. And to me, that's using our suffering well. And Learning peace building is a discipline. That was, I mean, that's one of the things I walked away with is I, if I want to help people suffering, I need to learn how to encounter my own and how to use it well. And of course, I struggle with that because uh, I'm like you, you know, I have a hard time, you know, admitting uh, when I'm wrong and, and, and I, I do my best, but I, I struggle the same way as everybody else does. But we go over that with our leaders and I feel like it's right in hand with what you've been talking about. And with this idea of loving dangerously, because the easy love is easy love. It's easy to love uh, when everything's going well, and 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 uh, you know when uh, when we're happy and 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 we're getting a lot from the relationship. But it's hard to love. You know, it, it, there's there's the moments where it's really hard to love, and that's when dangerous love is required. Am I willing to love people when it's not easy? So I just wanted to kind of wrap that into. To what we're talking about, relate it to our rooted content, but also to you know to your your um, idea behind dangerous love and loving dangerously. I think that there's suffering in there that it's almost like a bright sense of hope or a bright sadness, you know, if you will. It's a <laughs> things are not going well, but there's a brightness when we choose to use our suffering well. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because. Um, Towards the end of my book, I I I do this uh, chapter on troubleshooting dangerous love, and the three questions that I get all the time, and they're actually interestingly to me, they're all the same the same question. People will say, "Well, what if it doesn't work? Or what if it doesn't last? Or what if I do this, but the other person doesn't reciprocate, yeah. you know, or respond?" And when they're asking those questions, 
you, you've, been, you've been working with them on this process for a while and you see the fear starting to creep back in. It's that, that fear of pain. It's that fear of suffering. It's, it's probably rooted in past pain and past mm-hmm. suffering that I've gone through. And, and you know, look, no one likes pain and, and, and no one likes to suffer. Uh, and, and so I get it. Like, you know, when my kids are sick and I know that tending to them probably means I'm going to catch it too. It's not like it's joyful. You know, they got the stomach flu and I know that's going to be me in, you know, 24 hours. It's not, it's not always going to be like, oh my gosh, that's so great. But you do it because you love them and because, you know, people have done that for you in the past and, and you're going to, you're going to care for and you're going to show, you know, some courage in this process, which is why, you know, I refer to that love as dangerous love and not easy love because the perception of it is going to be that there's going to be some suffering involved, that, that, that if nothing else, our ego is going to suffer um, in the process. But maybe, you know, maybe much more people might react with our vulnerability with scorn or um, with ridicule that, that that person that you're turning towards might not turn back and that rejection will hurt. Mm-hmm. It, it will really, really hurt. And, and there's this line that I, this quote that I love from, from Eric Fromm, and uh, it says, to have faith requires courage, the ability to take a risk, the readiness even to accept pain and disappointment. Whoever insists on safety and security as primary conditions of life cannot have faith. Whoever shuts himself off in a system of defense, where distance and possession are his means of security, makes himself a prisoner to be loved and to love need courage, the courage to judge certain values as of ultimate concern and to take the jump and to stake everything on those values. And so when you talk about deeply seeing people, right, as one of the things in soil, that is dangerous uh, because it's not just a passive act of seeing because seeing leads to action Mm -hmm. and seeing leads to us behaving and interacting in certain ways. And it is going to require risk. It is going to require leaps of faith in people. And sometimes that leap of faith, you're going to fall flat on your face uh, because everybody has their own autonomy. Everybody has their own agency that some people might not be ready for that yet, or because they're under so much pain or struggling or they're, they're so blinded at the moment by their hatred or whatever that they can't sort of respond. And, and I get that instinct. And um, I mean, I really had it. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that the book didn't get finished was I, I was afraid. I, I, was, I was afraid of, you know, here's this thing that I, I want to put out in the world. And, and I've seen it be helpful to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I also know that people know me well enough to know that I've struggled to live this at times in my life, that, I, that I've made mistakes. And my fear was that as I put the book out in the world, people were going to come and, and point, point that out and point out all my weaknesses. And, and, and the fear of that and the, you know, just the fear of having to be reminded all that again, like literally stopped me from doing something that I felt that I should do, that I was felt was right, that I wanted to put out into the world. And and, you know, it seems crazy to say, like, writing the book took courage, but for me, it did. It took a, it took a level of courage and faith in people uh, and, and, you know, in myself that, that I can do this. And, and I think the point is, um, and, you know, it, it came to me again as um, my, my uh, 
my first marriage didn't make it. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be in another relationship again. Mm-hmm. I've blown it. I, you know, there's so many things. And then, you know, love comes knocking at your door again. And I, I was filled with fear, right? Like what happens? I might screw this up again, or it might not work, or it might not be right. Or, yeah. you know, what is this person? And to love deeply and to see deeply is to be connected to human beings that are going to be unpredictable that are going to sometimes have hard days and, and say and do all of those things. But it's also what it means to really be living yeah, and to really be alive. And so if we're running from our conflicts or, you know, putting our head in the sand or, um, you know, building up these walls all around us that protect us from, from pain uh, and vulnerability, we're not really living. Um, we're in a prison and, and the only person that can liberate it from us is ourselves. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I love this idea of suffering well, because if we are going to truly live in love, we are going to suffer and we're going to feel pain and be disappointed in ourselves and in others at times. And life is sometimes going to punch us in the face and it's going to hurt and, and we're going to, we're going to struggle um, with it. But the alternative, the alternative is is the real dark, and and so and so we love we love dangerously, and knowing that it will both dramatically improve our relationships and our way of of living in the world, but it's also at times going to scuff our knees and bruise our our, our shins and hurt our hearts. Um, but it's the only way. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, it's it's. Ironic, because you say uh, you said the liberation is coming comes from ourselves, and when when I told you that story, you know about running down the mountain um, about a year ago, you know I was I told you I just wanted to thank you, right? Like thank you for that day, and uh, you know you did a you did typical Chad thing, right? You, you were deflecting the compliments. You said something that just really changed my perspective on that day altogether as well. You said, well, Chris, I'm glad I could help. But remember, you ran down the mountain. I didn't. <laughs> you were the one that ran down. I didn't force you to run down the mountain. You ran down. And I think that goes right in hand with the liberation from getting out of this prison. It's, it comes from within. I mean, it's, it's our decision and albeit it's hard, and I and I know you know from personal experience it can be so hard. That's why it's dangerous. Um, but that day I chose to run down the mountain, and you gave me a little bit of a push, but I was the one that had to run. And ever since then, when I find myself getting in a deep conflict or or feeling like I'm getting imprisoned for whatever reason, metaphorically, I'm the one that has to choose to run run down the mountain, and I'm the one that has to to to, to change. And that, you know, that's been incredibly um, liberating, you know, to use that word, but freeing for me. And I think it has strong implications on, um, you know, leadership. And uh, I, there's, there's so much that I wish we could have spent more time on. And I'm serious. I think we're going to have to have you back for part two at some point. But yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, and, and I this, love the conversation. Let's, yeah. Whenever you're ready, let's let's do part two. Yeah, I mean, and this is a big question, but I want to end with this, and and so maybe you could encapsulate it into a paragraph. Is everything we've discussed today? I mean, what would what would be your message in a paragraph? You know, in a few sentences to leaders. I mean, what are the implications of what we've discussed today, and, and how imperative is it for leaders 
to take into account? What does it mean for them? I, you know, I think, uh, I, I think it, it captures something that we just talked about in the soil, like see deeply and, and deep means being all in as a leader. Uh, it means being all into the people that I'm leading and, and not just doing the super superficial things uh, on the surface that I know that I'm supposed supposed to do, but being all in as a human being with other human beings mm. is, is what it means to really see, see deeply and why I use the word love as opposed to, you know, when I fought with my publisher a little bit about, you know, love and, you know, all the different connotations of love. But, you know, to me, that's what's happening. It doesn't mean romantic love of lot, you know, or attraction or like or anything else. But it means I see your needs, wants, and desires so clearly that they matter to me as much as my own. And I only get there by seeing deeply. Mm. I only get there by being alive to your humanity to the point that it pricks my own and it and makes something within me alive. Uh, so that I can begin to respond and act in a, in a way back towards you that, that matters. And so, you know, leadership is not for the same heart. It really isn't. Like we have to see deeply. We have to be all in, yeah. in the humanity of the people that we lead. That's, that's crucial. And, and that, um, you know, this whole conversation has really added to our, our quest to, to gather as much knowledge and experience and information as, as we can. And, and I couldn't agree more that that it's that we have to, you know, that's, that's the best way to put it is we, if we want to lead in the right way, we have to be willing to, to deeply see. I, I love that. Um, and you know, we, we got, we got to wrap up, but, uh, Chad, I, you know, I know, I know you know this, but, but I love you, man. And, and, uh, and, and I appreciate you and, and I appreciate your time that you've, you've taken to, you know, to do this episode with us. I know you're busy. Um, and you know, for what it's worth, uh, you, you always have a friend in me and, and, um, you know, you know, I'll be there for you as, as I know you'll be there for me when, when, when needed. And I appreciate you and, and admire you and respect you and love you. So thanks for, thanks for joining us. I feel all those same things back towards you, Chris. And just want to say to all the people that you're working with that um, they may not know it, but you have they have one of the best uh, in 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 teaching and leading um, with you right now, and uh, just grateful for all the great work you're doing in Salem, and know in many ways that that's the tip of the iceberg of what you're going to do um, with your life and your career. I appreciate that, Chad. Appreciate that a lot. All right, well, we'll let you go, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right, aloha, okay. my friend. Mahalo. Well, we were well fed today. You learn from one of the best. Uh, I, of course, I, I don't feel deserving of what he just said uh, uh, about me, but truly Chad uh, has the, the credentials and the life experience to where he, he really is one of the best at it. You know, if you think of global peace builders and, and conflict transformation practitioners and experts, I mean, Chad is uh, is at the top for sure in, in my book and in many others. Um, if you haven't read Dangerous Love, it's it's a life-changing book. Uh, it'll change you for forever. And again, I said this at the beginning and I'll say this again. There's so much to say about Chad, his authenticity, his realness. Appreciate him. 
And thank you for tuning in. This has been a fantastic episode. Uh, keep listening. Appreciate your time. Thank you for all the leaders here locally that are part of our our institute in building this and all the future leaders that we're going to be able to work with. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. It's been a great one. Take care and be safe.